Welcome to the 23 Code Street podcast. We're here to make technology more accessible to everyone. If it's going to define our future, shouldn't we all be part of the conversation? I'm Serena. And I'm Anissa. I can't believe we're finally recording a podcast. It's kind of crazy. It's a bit mad, and it's actually sweltering hot here at the it pod at White City Place. Boiling hot. For once, it being warm in the UK is not an advantage. But <laughs> <laughs> it's actually brilliant, though, that we're finally getting to talk a little bit about technology and actually Definitely. demystifying some of the things that we talk about in the office every yep. single day. Very true. Um, so, Serena, I'm going to start by asking you a question. What have you learnt this week? Um, so I learned this week that clouds can be fake. It's, it's a real thing. This is not um, a real thing. An Uber driver told me. So he asked me to look up at the sky and he said, this was in LA. Um, so obviously so, legit. Yeah, so, but it's, I googled it and went on Wikipedia after. So he said, look at the sky and I did that. And he was like, does that, does that look like a cloud? And I thought, yeah, I think so. And then he was like, <laughs> it looks like a very straight, like the cloud wasn't fluffy it had like a straight line at the bottom and he's like there's this thing called cloud seeding where like countries will make fake clouds so it looks more cloudy I don't know more like scenic and then I was like maybe he's a bit crazy I'm not sure then I got out my phone googled it and cloud seeding is a thing so it'd be like getting like I don't know the actual science behind cloud seeding um but like it'd be basically taking like a part of a cloud and then you put it into the sky and it makes like a fake cloud. But like the bottom, but the bottom of the cloud looks fake because it's just like a straight line. This is madness. So yeah, cloud seeding is real. Question everything. <laughs> <laughs> clouds could not be real. I don't think it's, I think in the UK we don't have, or maybe we do, but we normally have a lot of clouds. Wow, that's amazing and really puts my learning of the week <laughs> to shame. Um, my learning of the week is that trees when they die and like fall off and then other seeds like shake you know and they drop all their seedlings can land in the dead tree and a tree can grow inside another dead tree wow that's very symbolic it's actually a bit amazing isn't it i don't know why we talk about phoenixes that are fake when we could talk about trees trees. dying and growing inside of trees but it's from this amazing book that i've been reading um about the hidden life of trees and it's just such a brilliant book that i didn't actually realize how much we don't know about the world that we live around and we talk so much about technology. There's so much we can learn from actual nature that we can then apply to tech, which I guess brings us to our first episode. I know. That's a good good segue in. Thank you. Okay, so let's dive into our first episode and find out what code actually is. Yeah, and to do that, we've got our specialist with us today, who is Jenny Brennan. Jenny introduced me to the best hot chocolate in London, which is why she's obviously here as a legendary specialist, um, but is also an incredible developer. Jenny, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, We'd love to hear a bit more about who you actually are. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a software engineer, and at the moment I'm focusing on how we bridge the gap between tech and policy. Um, But before that, I've worked worked at places like Twitter, um, in a bunch of startups, um, at Entrepreneur First, working across the tech stack. Um, and I've also done a bunch of teaching. So I love teaching people to code. I've taught with here with the lovely 23 Code Street um, and also with Code First Girls and some other places. So I always love any opportunity to explain to people how these things work. And that's exactly why we wanted you here today, because what actually is code? <laughs> Good question as a starting <laughs> point. Code is all about 
what instructions we give to a computer to tell it what to do. At the basic level, it's just a list of instructions. In practice, that normally means writing some text that might look a little bit different from what you're used to um, to make the computer do things. So maybe uh, if you're looking at a website, then all of that is only there because of the code that makes it work. And where do you actually write this text? Yeah, so there's lots of different types of code you could be writing. Some code, for instance, like I just said, will make websites. Some code will make um, the apps on your phone. Or some code will like run machines or robots or, I don't know, like the big Hadron Collider at CERN. Like, that's all code. But if you're doing like what I do, which is web development, then you'll write most of your code in a code editor or a text editor. So it'll just be a little program on your computer, a little bit like Word or Google Docs, but for code. So are there different coding languages? Yeah, there's lots of different ones. Um, and you'll use them for different purposes, although some of them can kind of serve the same purpose. They're not maybe as different as uh, different languages. Sometimes people ask me, like, can you code in a, in a different language? Um, most of them are English-based, although some people have created languages based on other character sets or languages. But most of them are English-based. And so, for instance, um, if you're making a website, um, you might use something like HTML or CSS. Those are two coding languages you could use. Um, or if uh, you're maybe doing something to like work with data, you might be writing in a language called Python. What's the difference between like a front-end language or a back-end one? Or just generally, what do those two concepts mean? Yeah, so you'll hear those around a lot, um, particularly when you're talking about web development. And that's because when we have a website, there's kind of two things going on. There's the bit uh, which is you looking at a screen at your favorite website. So say we're looking at the 23 Code Street website. I've, I've gone there in like Google Chrome or whatever. And the bit that I'm seeing is what's called the front end, right? So it's a bit that you can see and it's the code that's being rendered inside your browser on your computer. But where all of that code is stored is not on your computer. So in fact, what your computer is doing is going over the internet and talking to a computer somewhere else in the world, um, which has all of the information about 23 Code Street on it. And that uh, is called the server. And so we think about that bit as the back end, because it's not the bit you're looking at, it's a bit behind the scenes that's uh, making everything run. So when we talk about uh, a front-end engineer, um, we sometimes call them a client-side engineer because the client is like the thing you're looking through. So that could be on your computer or on your phone. And then when we talk about a back-end engineer, we mean someone who's kind of like in the weeds figuring out how to like serve that information to you, maybe like thinking about uh, managing a database or something like that. I've heard a really good analogy around front end and back end to do with like the body. So the front end is everything that you see of me. You see my skin, my face, all my hand movements that I do excessively. But everything that makes that happen internally, the muscles and the heart, is kind of our back end. And I really like that analogy of just simplifying um, what those concepts mean. Yeah, I think that is a great way to break it down. It, it very much is just like one bit that's easier to see and the other bit that's going on behind the scenes. So Jenny, I'm still a bit confused. I get that you're writing some code in this word-like program, which is a text editor, um, but how does that actually end up online? And what if I'm just like learning and I don't want the whole world to see this thing I'm creating that's probably terrible? Obviously, we often like to test stuff before the whole world sees it, because it's normally wrong first time, right? Mm. Um, so if you are writing, for instance, the code for a web page, so you might be writing some HTML or some CSS, um, you can write that in your your code editor or your text editor on your computer. And then you can just save the file. Um, so you'd normally save this as something like a .html file. And you can just open it with Google Chrome, just like right click, 
open with Chrome, and then you can see what it would look like if it was on the real web, but it's all just on your computer. If you're thinking about like the long term, where does code live? Normally that involves having some kind of hosting server for your code. Um, and this will look quite different depending on the kind of thing that you're doing. So a lot of people in industry might, if it's just a small website, host it using um, GitHub on GitHub pages. If you're a company like uh, Google, Facebook or Twitter, then you'll have your own uh, big warehouses of servers to host all of your code on. Yeah, I know that they have like duplicate servers kind of across the world. So if one goes down, it's still replicated in other places. And they have to keep really cool, right? You have to keep them really cool. They have specialist um, like architects who specialize in designing how you keep all these computers from overheating and how you stop them from you know, going down if there's an earthquake or a fire. Um, it's really intense. Um, but yeah, that's how mad. they keep these big websites running. It's crazy. It's probably why when things go down, it all goes down <laughs> yeah. and it's terrible. Just another quick question about text editors. Say I'm learning, mm-hmm. I'm just starting to get into it, or I just want to write a few lines. Can I just like download one of these text editors or write something in Word? How does that actually work? Yeah, your computer will probably come in with something in Boat that can can edit code. Um, But there's a lot of code editors you can just download, like VS Code or Atom. But there's also a bunch of things online if you just want to try it out. Um, So there's a website called codepen.io, which is really great if you want to try out some writing some web code um, and then seeing what it would look like right there on the same page. Or things like uh, Code Academy or REPL.it also all have interactive code editors that you can use in on the website and not have to download anything at all. Are they all free? Pretty sure all of those ones I just listed are free. Most of them. There's definitely free ones available. Amazing. So how did you first get into coding? Like what made you interested in coding? Yes, I had a bit of an unusual route in. Although, honestly, I was a really, really bored 11-year-old. I'd moved (laughs) from the southeast of England to like rural Wiltshire when I was like 11 and I didn't really have any friends in this tiny little village um, so I befriended my computer like a true nerd um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty tragic by the time I was 14 um, I actually realised that making websites was both more fun and better paid than a Saturday job um, so I started uh, selling websites and it was, it was pretty lucky back then the internet was kind of new so there was a pretty good market for that and then as I got older I realized that there was actually a lot more to the tech industry than making the old website um, and just so got more into uh, doing software engineering as a whole. And then how did your was it 11 or 11 year old self teach yourself to code did you use websites or was you, you was YouTube around then? I, don't, <laughs> I think but, YouTube was a thing yeah it was I, it a f- actually met oh I don't know. That's going to give away my age. Um, (laughs) So, um, yeah, so the thing I've always said is great about the internet is if you'd like to know how to make the internet, you can find this out on the internet. Um, So at the time, the kind of resources that were available were much less good than they are today. But there were a lot of people who had written tutorials. There were forums, etc. you could get involved in. But nowadays, there are much more targeted resources if this is something you're interested in learning, which is really, really awesome. So did you do computer science at university? No, I didn't. So I have no formal, oh, I don't know if this is going to be bad, but I have no formal qualifications in computing whatsoever. The nice thing about the tech industry, and it's not not universally the case, but it's very often the case that if you can do the thing, you can get somewhere with it, um, and you don't need formal qualifications to be able to do it. Some of the big tech companies might try and ask for them, but for a lot of roles in tech, they're really not required. What does your role involve as a software engineer? So... Broadly, we said earlier that the idea of writing code um, was uh, to give computers an instruction. As a software engineer, my job is to write that code and to do it 
kind of to fit in with whatever the goal of the company or product is. So on a day-to-day basis, that might look like meeting with other colleagues to work out like what we need to build. It might look like sitting in front of my computer and building it or pairing with another engineer to get something done or a whole range of things um, that get us towards delivering that code that's needed. Maybe you say like a lot of, I don't know, I think I said like a lot of people think coding is like just you, but yeah. actually you work with yeah. tons of um, different teams. So a lot of people often think coding is quite an antisocial job. I think the stereotype, right, is a, is a kind of nerdy looking person behind a glaring screen in a dark room. Um, and that's really not my experience of coding or software engineering. In fact, the code, as, as much fun as it can be, is often the least important part of the actual job that I do. That's really just the end result. Once I've figured out what needs to be done and how we're going to approach it, then I finally write it up in code. But that whole piece beforehand of figuring out what's needed, how we can all get it done as a group, of working with people to understand um, things like user needs, to understand how like the rest of my team can approach us and what skills we have, that's all way more important than the, the end code we write because without that, we wouldn't be writing the right stuff. Um, so it ends up being quite a sociable job. Um, I spend a lot of my time working like directly with others and the code piece is really just that final output. Um, at the end of all that. So just wondering, why didn't you study computer science? To be honest, partially was because I didn't really know it was much of a thing. So my experience at school was that most people didn't really know. Most of my teachers didn't really understand what I was doing with computers. And so I didn't really have any reason to think that like a university, which to my little mind was basically a big school, would know anything much more about the internet. Um, And I was interested in other subjects. The kind of stuff I'd done at school was never this. And so I was interested in exploring other things. So yeah, so it didn't strike me as a thing that I either could or or would do. I can't tell if in hindsight that was wrong or right. Um, I really enjoyed my degree instead. What was it? So I studied politics, philosophy and economics bit different from coding (laughs) but that explains kind of your your new interest right of Mm. policy meets tech yeah so bridging those two things of having seen these two quite different different worlds and realizing where there's a lack of understanding between those things and the risks that that poses to us as technology becomes more and more fundamental to our lives um really is the 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 place that i realized that um i guess i have a unique opportunity to kind of hopefully do some real good I think that really segues nicely into um, my kind of next question because some of the best developers that I meet aren't developers who have learned at university. They're not uh, computer science graduates. They didn't go through that standard, like, normal process. And they have got that thing of bridging two worlds. So if you don't need to have a computer science degree, how else can you get into the industry? Absolutely. I think... There's a real value in us having a, a wider range of perspectives in tech, um, and there's lots of ways in. So I was self-taught. I literally just went on the internet, figured out how to do it, until uh, I guess I got to a level that someone would plausibly give me a job. But uh, there are also a bunch of courses and programs available, obviously. You guys, the fabulous 23 <laughs> Code Street. Um, but there's a we whole... We didn't pay her to say that. <laughs> and, but there's a whole bunch of courses, um, whether online or in person that you can take varying from like free to paid depending how far you want to go if you just want to try it out I'd recommend just like trying out some things online with some of those resources available and then from there you can get a feel of whether this is something you're interested in um, the one thing I'd say is like most valuable in all of those things 
um, is trying to build yourself community. So if if you're involved with like 23 Code Street or, or Code First Girls, for instance, they often come with these wonderful pre-built communities for you. But even if you're teaching yourself, there's loads of organizations or events that you can attend which might help you build up that connection between like people who are either working in industry or other people who are learning that can help give you that feedback that you might need to learn. So things like Code Bar, um, which is an awesome meetup for underrepresented group people in tech um, to be mentored like on a regular basis or things like that. Um, there's also like free Code Camp online, um, which is quite a cool group of learners and Code Newbies, which is like an online like regular Twitter chat and community. So there's a lot of different ways in and there's a lot of people out there to help and support you. Amazing. I think like um, Free Code Camp, Code Academy, Treehouse, they have such great free resources that like, as you say, if you just want that first like dip into the industry, it's a really great way of being able to play with some things. And you mentioned CodePen earlier. I still use CodePen. I meant to be pretending I know nothing about code, but <laughs> I, I love the CodePen. <laughs> the lie is real. Um, I really do love CodePen, especially when we're teaching, because it really shows you that you can do the same thing in a hundred different ways. Um, and it's such a creative job, which I don't think people expect that. I don't think people expect code to be creative. So then do you find coding creative? I really think it is. Um, I've always said the thing I like about coding is it has these two parts to it. One is this kind of creative challenge of what should we be doing? Um, and then this logical challenge of like, how should we get that done? How should we m make that work? Um, and so I've always found it quite creative. I think it can kind of depend on the, the approach you take to it. Some people always think it's a very analytical, very like objective thing, but there's often a lot of different ways to achieve the same goal. And figuring out which is best is often more a case of, I don't know, sometimes I feel like it's more of a soft skill. So for instance, a lot of the time you care about your code being readable or understandable by another engineer. Now that's that's not always such an objective thing. That can be quite subjective and it can take a bit of, of crafting to get it there. And then also a lot of my front-end development work, for instance, that I did often interacts with design very heavily. Um, and sometimes I've like done both of those roles. So then that can be like a very literal creative piece. And you talked about soft skills. And one of the things that we focus a lot on is accessible development, this idea of making our code accessible to as many people as possible. Is this something that you look at quite a lot too? Yeah, um, I think accessibility is super important and it's also really hard and unfortunately too often overlooked. There's something something that generally comes up in, in more of the front-end development space. So how do we think about making websites that are accessible to maybe people with page readers or people um, with color blindness or people who maybe have, you know, would struggle with clicking on something that was moving fast, for instance. And there's lots of things that you can do in your code to, to make it more accessible. So for instance, when I worked at Twitter, we added um, in and TweetDeck the ability to add alternative text to your images because that's something that a page reader, so someone who is blind, would might use a page reader to read the screen. And as opposed to like you know, not being able to tell you anything about this picture of a dog, if you write something nice and descriptive about the image that's there, then they'll get that description instead. And so uh, for a product that's often used by journalists, for instance, that can be really helpful because it means that they're they're getting across um, more more thorough information um, to a wide group of people. Alternative text is something that we talk about a lot and how we write our alternative text should be as beautiful as the image that we're looking at. Um, and I think that's a really nice way of looking at accessibility, that we want to give them the same experience, whatever that means to them. Um, so it's really exciting to me that more developers are starting to, to look at it and to actually make it a priority. Um, Twitter recently actually made it one of their 
um, things on their images that you can add alternative text to all images on Twitter, um, which we've been doing now. And it's great that we feel that we can serve all of our audience and not just a really small proportion. Yeah, absolutely. It just makes such a difference. But I think there's still an awful lot to be learned. I'm by no means an expert, and it's something that I'm constantly thinking about. How can how can we improve in this space? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think we feel the same way. It's like we only do twenty percent. It's like how do we get to a hundred? We know our website's not even fully accessible, and we bang on about it twenty four seven. So we've got a long way to go to. Why should you learn to code if you don't want to become a software engineer? So there's lots of reasons that coding might be really useful to you, even if um, you don't think you want that to be your full-time job. So for instance, a lot of people, if you work in, in marketing or creative industries, you might have to deal with HTML, marketing emails, or you might want to be able to update your company's website. Or sometimes you might just work with technical people and it might be really useful if you could better communicate with them by having a bit more of an understanding of what their work entails and what kind of challenges might be there. Like if you're working with a team building your website, being able to understand why, you know, if you're working with a team uh, making a website, for instance, being able to understand when your asks are big asks or when they're small asks can really help you with with planning out your projects, etc. So there's tons of reasons uh, that it could be really handy, even if it's not the thing that you do full time. Or like even if you just want to do personal projects. So a lot of stuff I do is not necessarily in work. And sometimes I have ideas and I just want to be able to build them, um, whether it's just a prototype or or a kind of a more, a more permanent project. And is there a demand for people who can code? Massively. <laughs> um, so uh, nice thing about the tech industry, um, demand of engineers massively outstrips supply, um, particularly uh, a kind of, I guess, like higher up seniority. Um, but like that will only grow over time. Um, probably Anita knows the step better than me, but there's some kind of by, I don't know, 2030 we'll be missing like a million technical individuals or something in the UK so yeah so like 1.2 million jobs is a lot of jobs Mm -hmm. Um, and as a result um, it means that it's a not only is it a pretty uh, like stable career um, there are tons of job opportunities um, and I've been very lucky as a result not to like worry too much about like job security and stuff like this worst case scenario there's probably another job you can get and it's also pretty well paid which is always really handy to know and it means that there's a lot of not not across the entirety of the tech industry um, but most of a lot of the industry comes with like pretty good lifestyle um, so you know you're talking like rolling into the office at 10 a.m. Um, like more of a 10 till 6, maybe 9 till 5. A lot of people do flexible working, remote working, and like general things that make life easier easier to work around. Um, and so that's that's like a kind of lucky aspect of the industry. When demands outstrip supply, then there's a little bit more you can ask for. Sounds a bit like a dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty good, I can't complain. Where do I sign up? Yeah. <laughs> so there's lots of different titles people probably hear about. So what is the difference between a programmer software engineer, developer, and coder. This one drives me nuts. It probably drives you nuts <laughs> too. There's no good answer to that question. Really, it tends to be trends. Mm. So uh, I'd say software engineer is probably the current, like, I don't know, popular name. It sounds, I think people give it a bit more credibility than developer, which is completely ridiculous because they're the same job. But to be honest, they're the same. Um, coder, I think, tends not to people be a job title. Uh, tends to be more of a casual thing to be said. I'm sure people will come up with some kind of definition or distinction between them, and they'll probably be like notes written in, like, well, you know, actually, it's this way around. But in practice, they're all the same. (laughs) 
Um, but then a computer was originally a word used to define like a woman who was programming a machine, right? So I think, I don't know, it's easy to like assume what a set of people do from a, like, a job title or a label, um, when in practice, both historically, people were probably doing a lot more than we, we ever gave them credit for. And like today, I'd say never like never judge someone by what the thing says on the, on the CV or the label. Um, look more into what they've actually been working on. It's, it's this idea of, like, these myths that we have. There's these myths of what, that if you're a developer, you're worse than a software engineer. Um, if you started when you were really, really young, you're going to be really good, but you can't learn when you're older. So I'd love to talk about some of these myths. And maybe we can start with the age one, which is, do you have to be a genius young child programming a bit like you to <laughs> get into the industry and, and have it as a career? So useful clarification, distinctly not a genius. Um, <laughs> Clearly a genius. <laughs> so no, I'm probably pretty weird to have started coding as a kid. Uh, obviously, like a bunch of people do, and that's cool, great if you're one of those people, but um, it's just not required. You can move into tech industry at any age. Um, not to say that the tech industry is like always super great on um, on age diversity. But so the tech industry has a reputation for having loads of young people and maybe occasionally for like, uh, you know, not being super good with respect to age diversity, etc. Um, and so I'm not saying there's not issues around there because there very much are. Um, but in terms of can you go and learn those skills? Um, can you get to the point where, where you're able to work as a developer? Totally doable at any stage. Um, and, and there's really no reason why uh, anyone can do it at any point in life. And lots of we're seeing lots and lots um, more career changes and the real value that they bring in, having experience in whole other fields. So I worked at Twitter with the amazing Amy Simmons, who used to be a journalist, and then uh, moved into software engineering um, and then worked at Twitter on TweetDeck, which is a product that serves journalists. Okay. So you couldn't dream of a better engineer to work on that kind of product with real understanding of what the users need and all of that, um, as well as the fact that she's just like awesome and amazing engineer um and you also said that you don't have to be a genius so i always hear that you have to be really good at science and maths to be an engineer is this true no (laughs) (laughs) no um <laughs> just, just no. Uh, no, it's not true. There's worst, I guess, traditionally computer science degrees, etc., tend to be more mathematically focused or uh, or have like maths requirements. In practice and industry, that's not really important. Um, I didn't really, can't really recall ever doing any math at work. That's not like something that I could Google or use a calculator for. And when I say like, I'm just adding some sums. Th- there's some truth that like logical thinking is something that comes up. But whether or not you go on with maths is not necessarily an indicator of whether you'll like to code. Yeah. So is it true that most developers are young white men who kind of look like Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> um, I wish I could say no. So they don't all look like Mark Zuckerberg. Um, but there is obviously a massive diversity issue in tech. Uh, so men are massively overrepresented in tech, in particular white men. And it's something that we're all like, uh, it's undeniable. And it's something that fantastic people like 23 Code Street and a bunch of other organizations are actively working on. But we're not there yet. I have worked at many companies where I've been the only woman engineer. And and that is a reality for a lot of people. But it doesn't mean that there aren't some companies who are doing really amazing at this. And there are also a lot of amazing communities where you can find um, people like yourselves working in the tech industry. But we've got a way to go. So there's a stereotype of being a typical developer. So white young male affect the culture of working as a a woman in tech? 
Yeah, I think it's fair to say that like historically it definitely has like a stereotype of beer and ping pong and pizza is something that you see, the idea of like a cool startup. Um, my favorite one is when there's like more dogs on the team page than there are women. <laughs> So good, oh, so yeah. good. Oh, typical <laughs> startup fave. Um, however, um, there are there are a ton of places we're working to really combat this and do something different. So I run a lot of tech meetups in my day, and I really think about how can we do stuff like you know why does there need to be alcohol at this work based event? Mm. How can we provide food that is not merely like heavy carbohydrates and meat and things like that? And so so stuff like this is shifting. Companies are starting to think about more about like wellness and things like that, just because there's there's the demand for it as tech is at least in places starting to look a bit different so two are the things that people want and and people are starting to see that this kind of like macho bro-y culture is not like a healthy one for everyone and i think that's exactly right the key term being for everyone and i think as we start to see this change in culture we're really going to see a change of who enters our industry and that's exciting because i think we'll see a real change in what's created too yeah um, and we're starting to see that in the startup industry which is exciting but hopefully we see some more in the next couple of years. Definitely. Okay, Jenny, so I know you're a total pro, but are you as much of a pro as we think you are? (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably not going to be, let's be honest. Um, So we have a little game, and as you're the first player, you're going to be top of the leaderboard anyway. That's good, it won't last long. (laughs) So yeah, congratulations already. Um, So there are a ton of short forms and acronyms used in tech, like a popular one being AI for artificial intelligence. And <laughs> got that one. <laughs> yeah, we got it, we got it. That's one point. So your job is to give us the full forms of as many of the following as possible in 30 seconds. This is like my nightmare interview scenario. <laughs> <laughs> this would never happen in real life. No. Because you don't need to memorise this stuff. It's true. So I normally say when I'm teaching uh, classes about this, if I say something like HTML or CSS, I say, here's what it stands for, but you don't need to remember it unless you're doing a pub quiz. And I think that pub quiz is now. This is it. (laughs) This is your moment to shine. So Serena's going to do the timer and she's going to count how many points you get. Okay. Three, two, one, go. HTML. Hypertext markup language. CSS. Cascading style sheets. JS. JavaScript. SQL. Uh... Something query language? Structured Standard query structured? language. Yeah. We'll give you that. PHP. Uh, I don't even know what PHP stands for. Okay, skip. It's a language. <laughs> I know that. API. Uh, application programming interface. PC. Portable computer. OS. Operating system. CS. Computer science. HTTP. Uh, hypertext transfer protocol. And stop. Oh, yes! <gasps> that yes. was amazing. How many? That's 10, ten. points. <gasps> Whew, that could have gone worse. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to be in trouble with all the PHP developers. Though. <laughs> Did we tell you what it stood for? No. It stands for Hypertext Preprocessor. Oh, wait, that was HTTP. Did I get that wrong as well? Sorry, what did I say? PHP. It was no, PHP. P- PHP is Hypertext Preprocessor. It starts with a... But that starts with an H. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, I was never going to get that right. You, it's a it, trick question. It's a trick question. We, we don't understand either. Preprocessor. I learned something today, everyone. <laughs> awesome. We're done. Woo, thank you, that. Jenny. <laughs> I was like, yay. <laughs> thank you, Jenny, so much for being here with us today. We're so grateful for your time and for all your expertise. If you want to find out more from Jenny, ask her more questions, or just stalk her in general, you can find her on Twitter at Jenny H. Brand. Thank you so much to you for listening to us. We would love to hear what you thought of our first episode. 
And you can drop us a note on Twitter or on Instagram at 23codestreet, or you can email us hello at 23codestreet.com. Don't forget to press the subscribe button. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 23codestreet and check out our website, 23codestreet.com. I'm Serena Chana. I'm Anissa Osman Brisson. Thanks to Tom Salmon for our cute jingle. And thank you to the pod at White City Place where this podcast was recorded. <laughs>